from the heart of the Oregon wine country, you're listening to season six of the Wine Crush podcast. Stories uncorked for wine enthusiasts around the world. Featuring winemakers from the Willamette Valley and beyond. From origin stories to terroir, here's your host, Heidi Moore. Hey, everybody. Guess what is happening today? It is season six of Wine Crush Podcast. This is episode one, the kickoff show. And who do we have here? We have Joe Dobbs. Yes, the Joe Dobbs. And we are so excited that he is here. So highly suggest getting a glass of wine, grabbing a comfy seat, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. So Joe, kickoff. This is big honor. Well, thank you. I'm honored to be here. I'm um, kudos to you and what you've done with this podcast over five years and now going into six. I'm impressed. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. I mean, this I figured this was going to be a one and done deal. And so we are now, gosh, I think this is the 70th, 71st episode and you are, I think, the 103rd guest. So, I don't know. That's kind of cool. But um, works for me. Yeah, no <laughs> kidding. Yeah, the opportunity to be here. Yeah, no, we're super stoked that you're here, and you know what a way to kick off 2023. So, well, I'm honored and humbled. <laughs> well, I'm so glad, and um, you brought us some great wine, so that's a great way to start. I'd love to say it's a Friday afternoon, but it's not. So we're going to start the weekend a little bit early with some <laughs> wine. So let's get into the story with Joe Dobbs and the wine industry and and all your artisan type stuff and. You and I spent a really cool couple hours together up at the state a couple months ago, just chit-chatting and whatnot about everything. And I think the one thing we did not talk about was your origin story and how you got into the wine industry. So surprise me. Tell me all about it. Well, a story that goes back to 1985 that I first got into the business. But the reason I got into the business goes back even into the 70s. So our family moved here to Oregon in uh, 71, 72, and I grew up on what was called, a, what I call a gentleman's farm. And my dad was a doctor in the small town of Malala, and we had 60 acres, eight-acre lake. Um, I'd go bass fishing at night, duck hunting in the morning, just grew up working hard, baling hay and working for neighbors, et cetera, et cetera. And so I get this great work ethic and uh, you know knew how to drive a tractor when I was young and all that. And one day, my dad said, hey, there's two acres in front of the house. You want to do something with that? And I said, yeah, sure. So I, I started my first business at the age of 12. I started growing Marion berries for Smuckers. And, uh, my, That's not a small name. <laughs> Smuckers in, uh, in Woodburn. So my dog Schultz and I would deliver Marion berries. I think I made money for a couple of years. But you know, why do I bring that up? I've always had this kind of entrepreneurial spirit. And uh, as a kid, then I grew up in my grandmother's uh, kitchen and my, my nana, Rosanna Dana, and uh, my mother. And I always had this um, curiosity about aromas and flavors. And I grew up learning to you know cook and it's still a passion of mine. And so one thing kind of led to another. And then my dad um, was a physician, but he grew up on a farm as well. And he brought up some grapes from, I think it was Cabernet from California many years ago. And we made wine in the garage, you know, so took off the, the shoes and the socks and stomped the grapes. and Lucy style. Yes, Lucy style. We still have some pictures of that. And um, I don't think the wine was ever so great, but, you know, that was my <laughs> first introduction to the wine. And I did have some strawberry wine that I snuck to a grade school party once. And so I think that was my first not so good wine experience. 
But, I don't know. It could um, have been a great experience. There might have been a little bit of trouble that came for that, but you know, I bet you were popular. Uh, yeah, for a few minutes anyway, <laughs> until the parents found out. But um, anyway, fast forward, I, I went to school in Ashland, Oregon, Southern Oregon University, Southern Oregon State at the time, and uh, graduated from high school in Malala in, in 1979 and um, ended up going down there because it was a small town and I grew up out in the country and I didn't want to go to a large university. I ended up studying biology and I got a degree in biology, a minor in chemistry, and I was pre-med. I had a lot of interest in medicine. It still interests me a lot. And I guess, you know, growing up in my dad's household, um, it was kind of natural. And um, I got tired of school. I was getting ready to study for the MCAT test, medical college acceptance test. And uh, a friend of mine had just spent a year abroad in Bordeaux. And she said, Joey, you need to go there. And I had this dream of riding my bike across Europe. Um, I already had the you know, the experience with farming and, you know, cooking, appreciating flavors and aromas, et cetera, et cetera, and said, done, I'm there. So we long story short, we set up an apprenticeship for me to go to Long and Lonesheim, West Germany in 1985. And I did my first apprenticeship there, 85 vintage, uh, came back to Oregon in 86, uh, worked for Elko Vineyards for two years. And then uh, the first international Pinot Noir celebration. I'm dating myself here. Nineteen. You've dropped a lot of dates. I've so, dropped a lot so of dates. So we all know how old you are now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm smarter than I look, too, so be careful. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, um, I'm 60-something, I think. So I met Christophe Rumier. We became close friends. Uh, if the folks out there that don't know who Christophe Rumier is, he is like the Renoir of Pinot Noir from Burgundy, right? Um, he's a very famous guy, uh, makes amazing wines, real gentleman. We became fast friends at the very first International Pinot Noir celebration in 1987. And he invited me over to do a vintage. And, you know, at the time I had college debts to pay off and it was had a <clears throat> car loan and all that stuff. I ended up selling my car to my best friend. I deferred my loan payments. And I went to Burgundy in 88 and uh, did a, a vintage with Christophe Rumier. And then at the time, his uh, brother-in-law was Dominique Lafont. He was married to Christophe's sister, Anne. You know, here I can drop all the names in the book. Uh, you know, the great Burgundy producers and even the Rhone went down to Gigal and tasted. Uh, but uh, I tasted some amazing wines and uh, I, I joke uh, – the little bit of money I made, I was there to get an experience, right? You know, so I had the experience in Germany in 85, 86, and that was all about white wines. You know, they made Speppergrinder, which is the, you know, the what a Ger name. German word for Pinot Noir. <laughs> is that what it is? Speppergrinder. I can't yep. do that. Yep. Yeah, Speppergrinder. Yeah, I was going to Spepp it something, that's but yeah, yeah, that's about all I got is Spepp. <laughs> How's your German? Not good. I got nine. That's, so good, that's, yeah. that's all I got. Yeah. And gu guten tag. I got guten that. Guten tag. There you yes. go. <laughs> so um, anyway, I uh, I went to I was like a sponge, and you know all these famous estates. I mean, we tasted at Pou's door. You know, nineteen sixty wines, uh, Domaine de la Romaine um, Veronique Duran and I became really good friends. I actually met her at the first uh, International Pinot Noir celebration. Hung out with these folks. So you know, once a month we'd go to a Michelin star restaurant, which worked for me, you know, great food, great wine, great company, and everybody bought their wines and we just talked shop. And then I had many, many opportunities to go in their cellars and taste amazing wines. 
What um, an amazing experience. It was. There's and, there's something yeah. about Europe, France, what it doesn't really matter where in Europe that is just so romantic. It's so magical. Everybody wants to bike across Europe because there's just so much to see. But there's just so much history there and so much to learn that I don't think people in the States specifically understand how in-depth it is until they get there. It's pretty amazing. I mean, the the cellars at uh, Domaine de Rouen are, um, you know, pre-Christ. I mean, they it's, it's just an, it's so historical and so much to learn from these producers, and they were all very kind and, and generous with their their time and energy and knowledge, sharing their wines and yeah. knowledge. Yeah. So I I just became a big sponge, and um, you know, in '85 I didn't know what I didn't know. I did everything there was to do in the winery and in the vineyard. I was pruning, I was spraying. I hand sprayed some vineyards in uh, one of the smaller villages near Long and Lonesome because it was too steep to run a tractor up it. So I, I was the tractor, right? I mean, I, I did basically everything. Uh, with Arumier, actually, I pruned. I got to travel a little bit, sold wine with them in Switzerland and, you know. That's not <laughs> a bad place to go. Stood behind the table and nodded and, and uh, poured, the, poured wine. So, yeah, I tried. <laughs> It was a great experience. It was also difficult, you know, in, in Germany, quick story. So I, I got this apprenticeship and the head winemaker at this large winery got me this apartment in the basement of some German folks there that rented it out. And one of the people that worked for the winery also was a salesman for a, a uh, fermentation supply, filter sheets and all that, big company called Baco. And he had left to go on a sales trip for a week. And the people that I was renting from sublet his room to somebody. And um, Jurgen came back a little bit early from his trip and found somebody else in his room and all his stuff had been moved out. Well, I grew up a good Catholic boy. And so I was part of the, uh, you know, I went to church there and I was part of the youth group. And I made the mistake of telling them what had happened. And my landlords were out of town. I think they were in Hungary um, on vacation. And they came back, and the whole village knew what had happened. Well, Oops. I got an eviction notice. Oh. Oops. <laughs> I had one week to find lodging. And so here I am. This is uh, 1985, and I had studied German before I left, and you know, it was sink or swim. So I was literally going door to door, knocking on the door. Guten Tag, ich heiße Joe Dobbs, ich bin Praktikant. Uh, you know, telling them who I worked for and, and what I was doing. And, what, and it was pretty daunting. <laughs> so it wasn't always so easy, but, you know, cutting to the chase, I ended up working for uh, or living in this apartment that was upstairs overlooking the, the Hof, the yard at uh, Domain Zimmerman there in Long and Lonesome. And it was right across from the pub and it was imminently better than where I was before. So, you know, it all worked out. But Some things happen for yeah, a reason yeah, yeah. and <laughs> you end up with a better situation, even That's though, true. and you learned a lesson. I did. Sometimes shut, you just got to zip it. Shut your mouth. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, mom. <laughs> yes. So, I mean, with all that experience, I mean, did you go somewhere else in Europe or at that point in time, did you take, you know, that experience, that knowledge and bring it back to the States. So I spent a fair time in Alsace. I love the Alsatian wines. And uh, Andre Ostertag was a good friend of Christophe Rumier's. And so he, you know, made a phone call and introduced me. And I got to go spend a week with him and work a little bit. But I was, I considered a little bit. It's like, well, maybe I'll just stay in Europe and get a job, right? But you know, when I was at Rumier in La Fon, the world would come to their doorstep, right? I mean, they don't advertise. They don't have a website. They didn't have a tasting room, et cetera. And... 
people got to talking to me when I'm down there in the cellar. They recognize, you know, well, you're American. You know, where are you from? And I said, hey, I'm from Oregon. And you would be surprised. I mean, this was 88. How many people knew about what was already happening in Oregon? And I'm kind of a homebody. And I just, you know, I wanted to go back to Oregon and get a job and see what happened. So many years later, here I am. Uh, my first job in Oregon was... 86, 87 for Elk Cove. And then when I got back in early 89, then I worked for uh, Yellow Hills Wine Cellars as their winemaker. So that was my first head winemaking job. Ken Wright and I shared that vintage. Then he left to focus on Panther Creek and then I made the 1991s then moved on. So that was kind of my beginning. And I call myself the second generation of the modern winemaking era in Oregon. I mean, people don't really realize there was winemaking that was done, you know, before the turn of the century in Southern Oregon, Peter Britt, some of the oldest vines in, well, the oldest vines in the state are probably Lonnie Wright's vineyard, uh, the Pines in Columbia he, River Gorge. Yeah. I, his name comes up all the yeah, time. Yeah, he's a great guy. He, he has Zinfandel that's head pruned. And I went to visit him once and like, we can't swear on the air, but I, I came around the corner through this little valley, and I said, holy, Bleep. look at that. I mean, <laughs> these head-pruned vines in this valley looking at Mount Hood, and I was just like, you got to be kidding me. I had no idea. And uh, Laurel Ridge has some, I don't know if those vines are still there, but you know, when I first got in the business, they had some vines that were damn near 100 years old, I think. So, And then Southern Oregon, Peter Britt, and all that, but a lot of it was I don't know what happened to his flocks or what the deal was, but oh yeah, I mean, there's a lot of vineyards down there now, and you know, flourishing business. But anyway, so I digress. 1970s, of course, we all know the story of the Letts and the Ponzi's and Adelsheim and Pat and Joe Campbell, who my was my first job. Um, you know, so I wrote letters when I was in Germany, gave me my first job. But then fast forwarding, Eola Hills Wine Cellars gave me the vintage. You know, first uh, head wine making job in '89, as I said, I shared with Ken in 1990 and. Went to Hinman Vineyards for about five years and kind of made my name early on and helped turn them around. And then Willamette Valley Vineyards uh, hired me. Oh, let's see. Uh, I started working as a consultant in 85. It was a real tragedy. Dean Cox, who was a friend of mine at the age of 38, I think, or 40, um, bad heart, and it gave up on him. And so they called me. Kevin Chambers was the general manager at the time. And there's so many names that you have mentioned in the last 20 minutes. And I'm like, oh my God, Ken Wright, check. You know, Kevin Chambers, check. You know, all the rest of them, yeah. check, check, check. Yeah. You know, and it's just, it's amazing when you hear all of those names who were just not newbies necessarily, but they were at the beginning of, you know, or kind of that second generation of what the Oregon wine industry is. But now all of those names are iconic, um, including yours, oh, um, you. that are all up there. And, and, some, just, and their children are running. I mean, oh, absolutely. Uh, Adam Campbell is kicking it at Elk Cove. I remember we were bet making bets when he was in high school, whether he was going to make it through high school or not, when I was working for Pat and Joe. <laughs> which betting Adam, with Adam said, yeah, yeah, or you, betting with his parents? Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Either way, but um, anyway, uh, I've rubbed shoulders with a lot of really great people in Oregon. It's a wonderful place, and and... I have no regrets. Uh, there are a lot of people that have been in other industries that jumped into the wine business because they got smitten by it. But I got smitten early, and and um, you know I'm on my I don't know second or third chapter, second second winery that I've founded, Itirum Wines, which I think is why we're here. But 
We um, are. I mean, yeah. we're kind of here for the whole story. Yeah, and I yeah. do have a question for you before Go. we start getting yeah. kind of into that, because we haven't even really hit your first winery yet. No. But um, And I do want to touch on that because it's important, but we definitely need to talk about this, this new project that you have, and we'll get there too. So, But, you know, there's always so many comparisons between, you know, Bordeaux and Burgundy, France, you know, in comparison to Oregon's Pinots. And now that you've worked in literally both arenas and both spaces, what is your thoughts on that? Oh, my. And you got to take the history part that's out That's a of huge it. question. Yeah. yeah. I mean, as I say, when I was working for uh, Chris Averime and Dominique Lafon, and, you know, I'd run into importers, et cetera, that heard I was from Oregon, they, they perked up because they knew what was going on. You know, after it was a Cheryl Crow said it as after 30 years, I was an overnight success, right? I mean, yeah. in Oregon, we're what, 40 ish years or something like that. And of the modern, what I call the modern era that started in the 70s at least in the Willamette Valley. And um, I'm blown away by how much this industry has grown. I mean, just leaps and bounds. And, you know, in the early days, we kind of all knew each other. Now we don't. I'm kind of an old guy now. Right? <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. And age is just a number. Coming old, old guys doing it <laughs> yeah. again. I mean, I, I, you know, my knees and my back say I'm not young anymore, but the rest of me feels like it. I still feel like I'm like 30 or so, but... It's really cool to see what's going on and, uh, you know, the region's growing, more people coming here. We've got, you know, huge investment by, what, Domain Druin early on. So I think that was probably the first tipping point. Then, boy, we fast forward. There were some other French uh, champagne houses that had looked at Oregon. And I think the next, I probably missed something or so, but the big, uh, next big tipping point was Kendall Jackson coming. And from there after that, it's been... California and more French and, you know, the rest of the world. The, uh, and Italian, I think, didn't the yes, Italians buy Rocco? Yeah, they did. Yeah. yeah. So it's just, it's amazing, you know, because I've always... Santa Margarita. Yeah. yeah. See, you got the nice little accent going on there. I'd have to practice a little bit. I'd sound <laughs> not so romantic if I did it. But it's really an interesting um, industry. And Oregon as a whole, you know, I grew up on the coast in a very small little town. And to me, Oregon has just always kind of been this little podunk, you know, little state that nobody knows about. And we're kind of hidden in the whole, you know, noise of the United States. And all of a sudden, we're not. You know, we're on the international stage. We're on the national stage, you know, for a lot of different reasons. Right. But the wine industry has just blown us up and in a good way. In a good uh, way? Yes, in a good way. I'm not We're saying- We're at more than $3 billion, um, you know, adding to the economy of Oregon. It's amazing. And, it's and amazing. you know, and until I started, you know, wine as a business for myself, you know, on the insurance side, and then this podcast, I had no idea how prolific Oregon wine was until that moment. And as yeah. I've gotten into it, yeah. and I'm just like, it's really a blown away thing. And when you start seeing these high-end French winemakers and companies coming to Oregon specifically- to make Pinot, you're like, hmm, okay, there must be something here. Yep. It's not just podunk little cowboys over here, yep. you know. And we, we've just had the largest winery in the world, um, you know, bought Lingua Franca. Yeah, for sure. That, that's, that's that's brand that, new. That's or a fairly big deal. New. Yeah. yeah, and they have, they have huge plans. So, you know, there's the infancy stage, the juvenile, and the mature stage of any business or industry. And... Um, we're well beyond the infancy stage. I think we're still in the juvenile stage, but we're, you know, a long ways from being mature. And, you know, I use, you know, Napa Valley as being a mature and wine-producing region. We're still got more sub-AVAs that are spinning out here. Um, the most 
Recent one, I think, is Mount Pisco, which is out just south of Highway 22, headed west of Salem, yep. where we live. Yep. And uh, it's Monmouth area, so Freedom Hill Vineyard. Uh, Ernie Pink has a winery there. Um, yeah, I'm going to forget them, but you know, yeah. there's a number it's, of them it's out a pretty, there. It's yeah. a pretty small little area, I think, in, in kind of the grand scheme of things. Yeah. And you've had several other ones pop up the last couple t- years, too. Van Duzer. Um, well, which is, is it Long Long Tom that's like Long U- Tom, yeah. U- Eugene area, Laurelwood. Yeah, just out by Monroe. Yep, a couple other ones. So mm-hmm. it's just such a prolific industry that I would have you know never understood. And we were in Barcelona a couple years ago, and we're at um, Cordonneau which uh-huh. is outside of Barcelona. So yeah. I think it was built in like 1256, which, I mean, what the Isn't hell? amazing? What the hell? 1256. Yes, and they literally took right. us downstairs into their cellar that they hand dug, and you there was literally street signs down there, and you had to get on a little train thing to get through the entire thing. I think they said there was 10 million bottles of cavas in that cellar. 10 and million? I thought that was the number. Good and I'm like, I'm like, I'm pretty sure I heard that wrong, and they repeated it, and I'm like, Hmm. I could be wrong. It could be 1 million. I might have added too many zeros, yeah. but it's in the millions. And it's just, it was like, you know, mind blowing. There's so much. The cool thing about the wine industry is, you know, the history and then handed down from one generation to the next to the next, you know, like Gaia and all those in Italy. I mean, I don't know how many generations. It's nuts. Um, I remember, let me jump to my Domaine Rumier experience. It was just after harvest of 1988, Christophe Rumier, Dominique Lafon, and I are sitting in Christophe's room, in Rumier's um, living room. Fireplaces on. He says, "I'll be back in a minute." And he goes downstairs and he brings up a bottle. You know, it's full of cobwebs and dirty, no label on it. Of course, he opens it up. And so, at the time, we were drinking the 1985 vintage. And the wines were amazing. He says, "All right, Joe." And I was getting to know his vineyards. You know, the, the own amazing vineyards. You know. Le Misini and Les Amoureux and um, Bonemar and many others. And so I was getting to know, I mean, the 86 vintage was in barrels, 85s we were tasting. Maybe 86 were just bottled when we got there. But anyway, I, I forget. It's been a lot of years. And he says, all right, Joe, tell me the vineyard and tell me the vintage of this wine. I'm like, holy, okay. This is like Master Psalm stuff. Yeah, it is. And... So, I don't know, I have 13 properties or something like that. And I'm like, okay, yeah, right. You know, <laughs> here we go. I nailed the vineyard, Les Amoros, a uh, very feminine vineyard, uh, you know, feminine the style that is, right below Les Musigny, which is one of the most famous vineyards in, the, in, in all of Burgundy. Most expensive real estate. I mean, it's right up there, you know. They talk about New York real estate. It's nothing compared to real estate in Burgundy. <laughs> I can I can only imagine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And anyway, I, I digress, but he, he says, all right, yeah, you nailed it. He says, now tell me the vintage. I said, okay. Um, 1985, the wine was fresh. It was supple. It was beautiful. And he says, oh, you're only 40 years off. 1945. Holy cow. It was made by his grandfather, I believe. And he had just maybe two bottles left, and he brought that up and shared it with me. It was amazing. That's a huge honor. Oh, yeah. And yeah. we had some 1912 and 1913 Bonemar oh that his great-great-grandfather made, I think, at uh, Christmas a little bit They must uh, have really later. liked you. Well, there were other people in the room. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, take, it was it. it was really amazing. Yeah. I was pinching myself, and, you know, I can tell you other stories at the Hospice de Bone auction. One time, can I, uh, yeah, all sure. Right, all right. We got I'm, time. I'm jumping all over here. Dominique Lafon invited me, and it's a very hot ticket. It's called the Trois Glorias. So they have three different auctions at, you know, like um, 
Chateau de Marceau, and we were at, um, uh, it'll come to my head anyway, it's a famous Grand Cru vineyard um, built by the monks, you know, centuries ago. And Dominique looked at me and he says, Joe, now all these bottles are going by and a lot of them didn't have labels on them. So let's say the local vignerons, the winemakers, the, the wine growers would bring wines to from their cellar that they made or father, grandfather or whoever made, great-grandmother. And he's, Dominique says, Joe, enjoy this. He says, the wealthiest person in the world could not acquire the wines that you're going to taste tonight because they're not available. And, you know, as a bottle would go by and it's this glorious Chardonnay. And it says, what was that? And he says, oh, it was a 1977 Le Morichet, you know, Montrachet. I was like, holy crap. I mean, it was, it was, I was pinching myself every day like that. It was, it was an amazing experience. So um, how do you take something like that bring it back to Oregon, and then start your own business? Um, a lot of ignorance. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of energy. Yeah. Um, some bravado, I suppose. You know, it's like, okay, well, I mean, I, I'm going to fast forward. A lot of people ask me over the years, Heidi, would you ever start your own winery? And I'm like, no way. I, it's too much work. It's too much money. It's... It's too much of a lot of things. It's a lot of things, you yep. know. I mean, you think about if you're a winemaker and you grow your own grapes, you're you're a farmer, you're a production, you know, perishable product, grapes, making wine. You're a marketer, you're a retailer. It's five or six, you know, definitely at least four different businesses. And then yes. there's all the, you know, the regulatory and government and taxes and oh, paying the bills and all that kind of stuff. It's a lot wrapped up in the one. But- um, let's see. So I jumped off. Kevin Chambers called me Sunday morning, 1995 at nine o'clock in the morning. I was in the lab. I'm like, oh boy, this, this is weird. He says, Joe, I need some help. So my, you know, a friend of mine, a great guy, Dean Cox had passed away. And so that's, that's how I ended up working for Willamette Valley Vineyards. So I consulted for them for a year and I kept telling them, no, no, I don't want to work for you. I don't want to work for you. It's too big. And and all, and I was really happy at him and Veneers, and they graciously allowed me to hang a shingle out, you know, part-time, weekends and evenings and all. And um, I finally said, all right, fine. If you do X, Y, and Z and promise me X, Y, and Z, then I'll take the job. And they did, and they delivered. And so that, for me, was like graduate school. I mean, it was, it's a public company, still is. Mm -hmm. It's doing great. Um, they I just opened a huge new campus. Yes, they which did. Which is it's crazy. I've not, been, I've not been up there yet. It's going to be good for uh, Oregon sparkling wine. The wines are they're beautiful. They're really beautiful. Well done. And um, so, you know, I had to report to the board of directors. And over the you know years prior, coming from Hinman Vineyards and Sylvan Ridge, which was uh, the reserve label I started when we were there for them, I would, I had pinch points. So each winemaker has pinch points. You know, when you manage people, you have to be a good manager. And, and there's certain things they could do. We once made a Gribertz, you know, Gribertz Demeter and Pinot Gris that was mixed together accidentally because I made a mistake and said tank four and we didn't have the protocols in. And Whoops. one of the employees put it in <laughs> tank four and it was like, well, there's something else in there. You should have maybe asked the question. But, you know, so you learn these checks and balances and, and standard operating procedures born out of Failures, right? Yep. Yeah, it's not, oh, gee, we got to the moon and nothing happened. So everything, you know, it's when there's tragedy that you learn. But um, it's the same in any business, especially in production. Um, so I had these pinch points. And when I was at Willamette, it was graduate school for me. And I say this a lot because I learned how to be a manager. 
I had to delegate and I was not the guy that was hydrating and pitching the yeast and doing this and that. And it was nerve wracking. And then reporting to the board of directors, that was difficult, but it, you know, made me grow up. And it's intimidating. Put on my big boy pants, you know? And um, so let's see, let's fast forward. I started there full time, the 96 vintage and went through 2000. Then 2001 was a vintage from hell. It was wet. There was so much fruit. I didn't have fun. And, you know, Jim Bernos, a really good friend of mine, uh, founder and, and, you know, president of Willamette Valley Vineyards. And he won't mind me saying this. I just said, Jim, you know, this sucks. I'm not really enjoying this. <laughs> I mean, we had bins stacked up all over the place and I wanted to make, you know, really high quality wines and we were, but it was, it was difficult. And I was going through some life changes. You know, I was married nine and a half years and that came to an end. I've got two amazing kids. And um, I just put my head down and kept going. Some folks had asked me to do some consulting for them. Uh, I consulted for Tori Moore for a year and a half, um, worked for Don Olson. So that was just on the, the heels of Patty Green leaving there. Mm. So that was a great experience. And I had some other projects that were kind of one and dones. And fast forward, I just, I put my head down and said, well, I can do this. You know, it gave me some confidence. I had the consulting income, um, well, I'm a Valley Vineyards had the old Tualatin Estate Winery um, up there that Bill Fuller, what a prince of a guy. He's he's a great guy. Isn't that one of the oldest it is. Um, vineyards in yeah. the valley, correct? He, he and Bill Malkmus planted that in, in yeah, 70, 71, something mm. like that. And they, you know, they were part of what I call the modern pioneers that they came to Oregon specifically in search of the Holy Grail to make world-class Pinot Noir. So, mm. you know, those are the visionaries. They did the the blocking and, and opening it up and made it possible for, you know, people of my generation to come in and, and make a mark. And now we've got, you know, their kids are running wineries. So I put my head down and I just went. It's like, okay, well, I'm going to do this. So I, for a song, I made some improvements to the old Tualatin State Winery and hired a couple of people and um, hung up my shingle to do custom winemaking. I was profitable from day one. Then, uh, you know, I made the Dobbs Family Estate Wines in 2002. 2003, A to Z was just getting started then. I think their first vintage was 01. So they had the, more the negotiant label or a uh, um, business model where they were buying, you know, bulk wine from others and then putting a value priced wine. And I just saw, um, you know, so I started out Oregon, you know, in tribute to those that drafted the, the laws. Uh, names are escaping me a little bit that work with the Oregon Liquor Control Commission. Dave, can't remember last name right now, but um, David Adelsheim. I mean, my hat's off to him. He, you know, helped draft the laws that, to promote quality first, second, and third in Oregon. You know, the, law, the labeling laws in Oregon are the most stringent in the United States by far, you hmm. know, as far as appellation and, and truth and light. You know, we can't call it champagne. You know, it's not champagne. It's yeah. sparkling wine. Champagne is champagne. Burgundy is burgundy, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, you know, those guys really did a great job. Bill Fuller was one of those pioneers. So anyway, I rented to Alton Estate. And I was there, um, oh gosh, so we made the wines there in 2000, 2000 2002. It's hard when yeah. you've been in the business no, so Tory long. No, Moore was 2002, they, yeah, 2003. Yeah, yeah. so I consulted for Tory Moore. <laughs> First Dobbs <laughs> wines were made there in 2002. Then I rented to Alton Estate and made the Dobbs wines there, Dobbs Family Estate. And then Wine by Joe was born in the 2003 vintage. Now is Wine by Joe, that's your kind of more your value brand? 
Yes. Wine by Joe is the value brand, you know, really, I mean, really high quality, um, great drinking wine early, you know, early to market. The wines age really well. So uh, Chardonnay, Pinot Gris, Pinot Noir, of course, are the big three, some Pinot Blanc. And then um, a couple of years after I started that, we bought a 214, we, I did in the bank, a 214 <laughs> acre vineyard out in what is now in the, the heart of Van Duzer Corridor, um, Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. And Oh, Heidi, with it. I had $50,000 to my name. I got a $250,000 equipment loan from Silicon Valley Bank. I used 225000 of it. Within seven years, we were the second largest producer of wine in the state of Oregon. It's pretty crazy. It was nuts. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just like, what happened? How did this happen? Kind I surround myself with some great people. And that's the important thing yeah. is, is great yeah. people and the right people. Yes. Yeah. So I was, uh, I was working like a maniac, but I was loving it. I had a great time. I was, there were times I was so stressed out, especially, you know, when I first started it and I left and a very good salary and a lot of benefits at Willamette Valley Vineyards to branch out on my own. I thought, you're nuts. You're just nuts. But I did it. Well, and it's brave. I mean, yes, I think there is it. I think there's, <laughs> I think there's a lot of nuts and crazy that go into stuff like that, especially when you have kind of a, I wouldn't say a cush position, but something that's safe, a safe position. And so you step out on your own trying to do something that's, that's crazy. It's brave, but mm -hmm. it's your own. And, right. And that's where I think the magic is. Right. Yeah. So you've gone Wine by Joe, Dobbs Family Wine, and now we have Iterum, which is mm -hmm. what we're drinking now. My glass is empty, oh, but, but I'm going to fix that here in well, just a second. Well, there's clone 114 2019 from our estate vineyard. I'm putting it on my sales hat. Um, it's located, the block 114 is right below our house. When you're launching a new brand, you look for press, right? Even if you're an old guy like me, it's like, okay, well, you need third party, you know, third parties to bless you. Uh, but we came out of the shoot with a 92, 94, 96 point ratings from the wine enthusiast. Um, the Pinot Noir there is the 96. That's not shabby for your rookie year. That works. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was that the harder I work, the luckier I get? So I don't know. I I just think it. Yeah, maybe. <clears throat> no, it's it. There's skill to to all of it. I mean, you can't just walk in and you know grand slam the first time. So yeah, definitely a few years of practice behind you. Not yeah. I mean, not that I feel that you know I need the reviews to feel good about what I'm doing, but it. it you know, I mean. We're starting all over again. Iterum, Iterum is either either way. Iterum, I think, is, you know, if you look up on the YouTube, that's how I tell you to pronounce it. But Iterum is how we first coined it. It's a Latin word that means, again, afresh once more. And uh, it really represents me going full circle. Uh, you notice the little the circle mm -hmm. around the IT. So come and get it, IT, Iterum. And... Um, I'm making 1% of the amount of wine that I made when I was working for my company, which I still own half of, Wine by Joe and Dobbs Family Estate. So, you know, I was the head winemaker. I was making all the big decisions. I wrote all the contracts for the vineyards. I made all the picking decisions. I had, you know, help sampling and all that. Weekend events, wine club, travel, you know, the more successful winemakers become oftentimes the less time they end up spending in the winery. <laughs> you know, you need to get out there. I mean, there's nobody told me I needed to, but I, I, I needed to, right? And so we had distribution and anyone's been in the business, they know about it, right? It's like, how many hats can you wear? It's, I mean, there's a lot of FaceTime that comes with being a winemaker and, and or a wine owner is 
yeah, you can be making the decisions and you can be doing a lot of the hard work, but you have to be a face for the brand as well. And it's a lot more powerful when Joe Dobbs shows up to sell his wine than the guy that Joe Dobbs hired to drive the car and pack the boxes. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. So, I mean, what does this project mean to you? I mean, you've you've done so much hard work. Yeah. Why start again? Well, I'll tell you, you know, why did I start again? As a great, you know, people ask me that very, why are you doing this? Why don't you just, you know, sell, right a, off into the sunset? sell a company and retire and all that? I mean, we we have, you know, four different businesses, but in, in aside of Wine by Joe and Dobbs Family Estate, but I had felt there were two reasons that we started Iterum. The property that we're at is, uh, I used to make wine for Greg and Ann Koss. So the wine by Joe model, the way we're able to grow so quickly, I, I can't go forward without going back a little bit. Uh, we did custom winemaking. So you know we're the seventh largest producer of wine in the state of Oregon. Wine by Joe wasn't the seventh largest. It is still one of the largest in the state. And Dobbs is, you know, it's not big. It's only 7,500 cases. So, you know, it's a lot, half the size of some really well-known, you know, luxury wineries like the Dobbs label is. Oh, I lost my train of thought. What'd I say? <laughs> Why'd cust- I? Custom crushing. Oh, with custom Aunt, crushing. Yeah. yeah, Greg and Ann Koss. So I have to go back to 1989 when I worked for um, Eola Hills Wine Cellars. There's a gentleman by the name of Tony Visconti who was a shareholder in Eola Hills. And he owned 80 acres on the west slope of the Eola Amity Hills. Wasn't Eola Amity Hills at the time, AVA. Just west of Salem. And he took me up there and it was this beautiful property, and he introduced me to Greg Cost, who then ended up buying 21.2 acres from Tony and this old 1990s home that's been completely remodeled, et cetera. And in 2000, Greg planted uh, six and a half acres of Pinot Noir. And his wife then, and he approached me about making wine for them. And we made uh, wine for them that was really successful at, you know, at Wine by Joe and Dobbs Family Estate for about five years and they decided to stop making wine and then Dobbs Family Estate leased that vineyard. And it went into our all of our high-end wines. We fell in love with the house and Greg and Ann said, you know, you need to buy this someday from us. And we're like, oh, you live here, right? I mean, so anyway, they, they moved on and the house was empty for a couple of years and another couple, lovely couple from California came in and moved up and they did everything right. They planted another four acres so we had 114, 115 clones of Pinot, and then 76 and 548 of Chardonnay. They did everything great. Um, so that's one reason why Iterum exists. We had the opportunity to buy that place. So in 2016 was my last vintage at Dobbs and Wine by Joe. And um, I've got partners that own half the company. And it, it, I started Dundee Mobile Bottlers in 2017. And it was, it's just time for a change. So essentially, I had sold them half the winery. And it's time to do something else. So, you know, we call it Orchard House, which- it, It's so pretty up there. Isn't it? It yeah. is so we, pretty. We're so blessed. Yeah. When I drove up there, I'm like, this is like Better Homes and Garden or Sunset Magazine worthy. I mean- but It was actually featured in Sunset. I think I showed you. Oh, you did show yes, me. Yes. And yeah, yeah. In 2006. That's me being stupid and not remembering that you showed that to me <laughs> until just now. It's one of our but sales points. It's like part of the experience. It's, you know, estate, but it's, you know. I mean, the inside of the house obviously is beautiful and the vineyards are beautiful, but I drove up and 
immediately like my husband is going to hate you because <laughs> of all the water features outside and the walkway. Oh my God, the walkway. The moving water walkway. The moving yeah. water walkway. I like projects. Yes. And well, concrete. When you when you run out of things, I have all kinds of things to do at my house. Very cool. <laughs> that okay. You can come do. I can consult. Yes. So the estate was a big impetus. And I, I looked at Patricia and I said, you know, that place has been for sale for a year. We should go look at it. I was like, okay, what are we going to do next? And I had felt, I'm getting to the point here, I had felt that I hadn't yet made the best wines in my life. But really- That's a big statement. Yeah. And it's not, I mean, I'm very proud of what I've done and what the company is still doing at Dobbs and Wine by Joe. But I mean, I never, I had a lot, I was wearing a lot of hats and there were some risks that I didn't take that I am now. So what, what are those? Organic farming. We had sure. a 214-acre vineyard that was managed by Results Partners. I mean, it was a big business and lots going on, a lot of moving parts. And, um, you know, I had two facilities and we, there still are in separation of space for the Dobbs versus the Wine by Joe brand and, you know, the high flow and the slow flow, right? Four tons in an hour or 100 tons an hour, whatever, on the other side of the street. And... Um, so indigenous fermentations, right? So indigenous yeast, so whatever it is that came in from the vineyard, you do a pied de cuve and you build it up and, and you know, natural malolactic fermentation, et cetera. Unfiltered reds, but, you know, we're still doing that uh, with Iterum. But I had two years to step back, Heidi, and say, okay, well, wh who do I want to be when I grow up? And what are we going to do with this brand, right? So we've got two clones of Pinot Noir, two clones of Chardonnay. And it's like, okay, well, great. I'm going to do one Pinot Noir and one Chardonnay, and here I am. And that's a little boring. <laughs> so um, I think I'm getting to the point here. I had some time to taste my old wines and just take two vintages off. Did a lot of fishing and, uh, you know, running down to mobile bottlers. Kept me plenty busy too. But we put together the brand where now we have the old friends that I've worked with over the years. Um, the Sauvignon Blanc that you love, 1989. I, I love it. 1989, Oak Grove Vineyard, Eola Hills Wine Cellars. It's the first time I worked that vineyard. The second and last year was 1990. So fast forward to 2021, mm -hmm. I said, well, I need to bring back these vineyards that to me just really spoke to me were really special, right? I mean, everyone who's in the NBA is really special people as far as athletes. I mean, there's the, the cream of the cream of the crop. But then there's LeBron James and um, Michael Jordan and Clyde Drexler and, you know, the guys that are really standouts. And so for me, you know, this is like the Clyde Drexler and the Arlen Vineyard and Simonette and Eola Springs and Quailhurst. Oh, my God. You know, these. So I've, we're doing the estate wines, Orchard House Estate, and then Old Friends, single vineyard designates. So, you know. 116 cases of Sauvignon Blanc. We're less than 850 cases total. We're doing sparkling Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. So I'm I'm doing my advertisement here, but you know, that's why did I get into this? This is what it was like, this is what I want to do. And I felt I hadn't made the best wines in my life. I truly believe that I am right now. And um, I would say the wines it's are, not an advertisement. They're it's, exciting. It's, it's the truth. Thank and you. and when your truth is what you're doing, it's not advertising and marketing. It's real. Yeah. Come taste and see what, I mean, how do you go there without sounding really arrogant? I mean, we have you know, we do some fam tours with, uh, familiarization tours with touring companies, et cetera, et cetera, and unsolicited, you know, some comments from people. It's like, wow, I'm honored. Thank you. I'm very humbled by what they say. 
And it's really gratifying. So doing some things that I haven't hadn't done in the past and just being more hands-off, you know, we got the hand in the land, right? There's not, the land is what it is. It's a great piece of ground. Um, it had been proven over the years. And then the hand um, is a little less intervention interventionist as it was in the past. Just letting, and so hence we do the 114 clone and 115. I mean, years ago I would do, uh, you know, when I was at the helm of Dobbs, I would do, you know, Patricia's Cuvée, which is the opulent, and Griffin's Cuvée, which is the age worthy, and Amelia, our children, Amelia and Griffin, the elegant, right? And so I would do these stylistic blends to get arrive at something elegant or opulent or age worthy. Everything was fermented separately and aged separately, but now we're just we're just letting it be what it is, right? So somebody could say, well, I, you know, maybe the best wine would be blend the 114 and 115 together because the 114 is more more bass. So if you look at an orchestra, you know, you've got, or, you know, a singer, I don't profess to sing, but, you know, I'm, <laughs> you've got the soprano and you've got the the tenor, right? I mean, they're, they're different. You could blend them together and come up with something, but it's just like, no, I just want the land and the clone to speak. And I think it's, it's it's a great story, and people that taste, they're like, oh yeah, I really see the difference. They're the the two clones of Pinot Noir are picked on the same day. They're the one one four is always a little more ripe, a little higher pH, lower acid, more blue and blue fruits, and the one one five is more red fruits. So it is what it is. It's a lot of fun. So that's a little promotion and you know brand plan that's thrown in there that is all part of why we did this and, and what we're doing now. It was just time for a change. And, and I had a couple of years off to charge, recharge my batteries and I'm stoked. I'm having a ton of fun. I can really think about things and, and bring samples back from the winery all the time and give them some air and run them through ML precipitously and you know at home and see what they're gonna be like in the future. And I'm having a blast. I was just gonna ask you, I'm like, are you having a good time? And, and you, just an you just answered it. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, I mean and, it's stressful. Yeah. I mean, we're farming. We have a perishable product, right? For sure. I mean, I'm starting over again, right? It's like. Yeah. I mean, I guess you're starting over again with a new brand, but to me, it's not a start over. It's almost like a, um, maybe a spur in the road, you know, something that's maybe going to the higher ground or maybe something that's going to like the pretty waterfall on the other side of the hill. You know, it's just, yes, you have, you know, your mainstay, you have Dobbs and Wine by Joe and you have your mobile, mobile bottling and that's all been like your busy, you know, your busy life that, that is, I, I don't know, there's a whole different way of putting it, but now you have this little spur road or this new adventure that yes, yeah. it is a new project. I'm but, going up a side valley that I had seen, I knew was there, but never had time to go up it. Exactly. You know? Um, I was talking to a journalist, uh, I don't know, a month and a half ago, and he says, well, why are you doing this? And I said, well, same the reason Michael Etzel's doing it again, right? I mean, he, he was a partner in Beaufrere, and he sold mm -hmm. that, and now he's got Sequitur. I was like, well, why are you doing it? Because it's in his blood, and he loves it, right? Is, um, it's actually a, a Latin word as well, that something to do with, like, you know, essentially starting over, right? Yeah. So I could look it up, but anyway, the listeners can look it up. <laughs> yeah, and, and then let us know. Are you enjoying it? Because you, that was her question. Absolutely, I'm loving it. This is my, my <laughs> lovely wife. Yes. Honey, you want to pull up to the mic here? I don't know if her mic is on. Yeah. 
I'm no, yeah. I'm loving what I'm doing. Yeah. Absolutely. I think I said that, but maybe not. But I, I think you did, and maybe yeah. a kind of in a roundabout, you know, mm-hmm. way of doing things. But mm-hmm. it's I think it's kind of that, I don't know, maybe you hit that maturity level to where you really don't give a shit anymore what other people think and you can kind of do what makes you happy. Yes. And you can cuss on the air, just so you know. It's like, (laughs) look, kind of been there, done it. I'm still learning. You know, I'm doing some things differently in the the cellar, some things in the vineyard that I've never done before. And it's like, yeah, I I don't get... Give it to him, you know. It's like, it is what it is. You're making yourself happy and enjoying your time doing it. It's, Life it's, is only so long. For sure. Well, you've been to our place. I yes. mean, it's it's gorgeous. And there's nothing more cool than sitting in my office and seeing my wife hiking through the vineyard, talking to her, one of her four sisters on the phone with a big smile on her face. And she loves it. I love it. She's happy. I'm happy. You know, it's- Happy wife, happy, happy life. life. Yes. yes. <laughs> thousand percent. So we kind of touched on the lineup. So you have you have the, the Pinot and the Chardonnay. You have- the Sauvignon Blanc, which is Sauv Blanc, is one of my very favorite wines. Oh yes, I have a mission for that. But go ahead. I yes, inter- I want to hear the mission. Let's hear the mission. Are you, Am okay. I, and then when you have bubbles, right? Yes, bubbles we're doing coming? Method Champenois. Okay. Uh, we started with uh, 2019 Chardonnay, and then in 2020 we've got Chardonnay and Pinot. We're going to continue to do that. So again, over all the years, I had never made a Method Champenois sparkling wine. After 30, you know four or five years. I had never been on the making of one. Uh, we had done some bubbles that were, you know, like, uh, fr- you know, Frizzante style at, at Willamette Valley Vineyards, semi-sparkling muscat and, and uh, et cetera. But so that was a new horizon for me. Sauvignon Blanc is, um, there's not a lot of it planted in Oregon. And uh, there's been a couple articles written about it lately. Paul Greggett did one that quoted me where I am going to show the world that Oregon Sauvignon Blanc can be world-class. I truly believe it. Some people might think I'm nuts. Come taste our Sauvignon Blanc. We planted a half acre in our vineyard. I wish I had more, more land. We might move some fences and tag some on the ends of the rows. It is, it's truly a, a beautiful varietal. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's, wine is subjective, right? I mean, some people may not care for the style that I make. Um, it's fruit forward. It's rich. It has high acid. Barrel fermented, fifty percent, fifty percent stainless steel, and um, half of those barrels are new acacia wood. It's interesting. It's really cool. It's it adds a lot of character to the wine, and uh, you know the press has loved it. So, and yeah. I love it, and that's really what matters, I really, I right? Brought you a bottle. I know you yes. did. I was so excited. I know why you're I doing did this. it. I did a happy dance. Yeah. It's not about the insurance. It's about wine. <laughs> ah, the insurance is just a side hustle. Yeah. <laughs> so the big thing is, you know, you you have the big facility for Dobbs. Everybody knows where it's at in Dundee. Mm-hmm. But where do people find this? How do they come taste? How do they be part of the yeah, I yeah. keep calling it interim. I like how you say it a lot better. I tear well, I, t- I you know, the, on the web it'll say interim. Uh-huh. But I got to tell you how the name came about. So there's a guy by the name of Daryl Decker, and he's going to listen to this. Um, really cool guy. He's way up at uh, uh, Salem Hospital uh, doing IT work. And so before he graduated Salem Hospital, he was doing freelance IT work. He actually helped uh, work in the vineyard a little bit, and we be- became good friends. We were standing out in front of the house, and he says, what are you going to call this brand, Joe? And I said, you know, I'm not sure, Daryl. We've been throwing it around, this and that. And I really liked a, a strong one-word name, um, Etude, Tony Soder, right? Mm-hmm. 
It's a strong name, one word, you know, you, you don't forget it, right? And he says, well, you should call it Iterum. Not Iterum, Iterum. So that's the first I heard is like, you know, the, the gosling that fixates on the farmer when the first thing he sees when he, when he hatches, right? So it was Iterum, so we call it Iterum. And I said, well, Daryl, what, what's that? And he says, oh, it's a Latin word for again, afresh, once more. It's like, it represents you going full circle. It's perfect. And I said, well, how do you know that? And he just says, you know, I just, I just know those things, right? <laughs> just kind of pulled it out. I'm like, so we toss it around and, uh, you know, my daughter thought it sounded like Imodium. Okay. I looked up all kinds of other words and, you know, uh, you know, definitions of this and that, and it was taken. Continuum was a great one, but Tim Mondavi beat me to that one. And so we went full circle, uh, literally and figuratively, and we ended up with Iterum. So there you go. Uh, you asked me a question and I digressed again. No, that's okay. That's what makes this so much fun because if I had a list of I'm excited, questions, you know? <laughs> it would have been, it's boring. Okay, Joe, what's your name? Joe, what do you do? You know, this, when you go down, you know, these little kind of trails to the sides and you do dive off into the bushes every once in a while, it's interesting, it's fun, and we learn a lot more about you than we would have <laughs> if I would have had a list of questions for you. But you did not ask, answer my question about how do we get in front of you to, yes. to buy and how do you get in front wine? of us? We have a website that I'm really proud of. And by the way, my daughter, Amelia, uh, used to be... Um, you know, assistant marketing director at Dobbs Family Estate, and she got poached by uh, Flaneur Cool Winery, and she's now the marketing director. And with uh, Marty, the owner's blessing, she does uh, nights and weekends and helps us with our um, social media. So she helped us build our webpage, and you can go on the webpage and make an appointment. It's appointment only. It's a high-touch, high-end experience. You know, we're making limited quantity wines. The wines aren't cheap. We think they're darn well worth it, and we actually think they're a value. And we've been told they're a value at $75 um, for our initial release for the Chardonnay and the Pinot, the Sauvignon Blanc's $50. Um, make an appointment and come on out to the estate and uh, we'll take good care of you. And it's well worth it. It's well worth the cost <laughs> for the wine. It's well worth the drive up the road. Um, it's well worth the view that you get when you get there. And cool, you get to see you. the really cool moving walkway thing. <laughs> so, yes, if you can take really cool pictures on the stepping stones. I don't even know if you saw me out I there did. taking, taking no, pictures. I saw it online, the bottle of Sauvignon Blanc. I'm That's like, why he's going to think that I am crazy down here on my hands <laughs> and knees in your driveway. Um, but it was it was such a beautiful, lovely time. And I'm so glad because you reached out to me. We we I met. Did. I didn't know you're such a big deal, my dear. I'm not. I'm not a big deal. You are. No, I'm just. I'm just a little <laughs> farm girl that has a you know a little doing what podcast you love. radio show yeah. in downtown McMinnville. I actually got really excited when I saw your message. I'm like, oh, I've only met you once. We were at the symposium. Maybe yes. I met you twice. Yeah, we had a booth next to yeah, each other. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, it was you know one of those things. And you know, but we're both busy, so it was kind of hi, okay, this is who I am, and then we go on our separate directions. And so when you messaged me, I'm like oh my God, my day just got made. And then, <laughs> then you invited me up and I'm like, oh my God, this just got so much better. <laughs> so, and Next now, time I'll cook you dinner. Yeah, oh. Uh, you Bring your will, husband out. You will know for a fact you are going to have to live up to that one. I'll because if That'd you be are fun. that good of a cook. Um, what do you think, honey? She's pretty cool. We'll do it. I promise All not right. to steal anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We have cameras everywhere. Oh, okay. Well, you know, then I can't get away with anything then. 
Well, this has been such an incredible pleasure. Thank you. And um, likewise, yes, I wish you the absolute best of luck with everything. And I love the fact that we're kind of neighbors. Yes. We live like one hill apart. Yes. So um, one of these days, I'll have an ATV again, and you'll see me show up in your driveway there with you my go. with my you little. You know the gate code. I'll have to look back on our messages. <laughs> I'm going to have to put it in my notes so I have it. Andy Lytle is hosed, too, because I know his gate code, too. So yes. he's going to find me in his yeah, pool he's, he's one a of neighbor. these days. Yes. Yep. So I am so appreciative to have you and Patricia here. She hasn't said a whole lot on the mic, but I'm so glad you joined us today. <laughs> We're going to go drink some more wine. And I have snacks out there. So we'll go eat some snacks oh, very and, cool. and chit-chat and take some pictures. And All right. we will call this a very successful kickoff show. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be part of it. I'm humbled and uh, appreciate it and continued success to you. So I think you're number 40 in the world right now. So Top, top 40. Top I don't know 40? if we're 40. Yeah. We could be number seven and I wouldn't know. So, well, you know. Maybe next year yeah. you'll be number seven. So hopefully you know what? we didn't we're, muck this up too much today. So, oh, you know. no. This has been a great show. We're going <laughs> to we're gonna sail on this one for a while. So cool. anyhow, thanks, Joe. My thanks, pleasure. Patricia. Thanks. And you'll see me again. All I can right. guarantee it. Cheers. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Wine Course Podcast featuring Joe Dobbs. It was such an incredible show. We truly appreciate your support. And if you enjoyed what you heard, please go to iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast, leave us a review, subscribe, and definitely share with your friends. We want to send a special thank you to Dustin from Biscuit and Pickles Catering for providing the delicious after-show snacks. They are so good. And also to our producer and audio engineer, Daniel, from South of Autumn Productions. Without the two of you, our show would be a mess. We hope you are looking forward to our next episode. And remember, life is short. Drink the wine.